So we're, uh, we're continuing our series, Poured Out, um, A Life of Work and Worship. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at work like, you know, what we do to, for a job, um, what we do to make a living, um, how we, you know, administer our family, stuff like that. But there's more to the biblical vision of work, and we're going to see that today. And so uh, let's, let's take a look. This is, uh, this is the, the text from which uh, the series title comes. So let's take a look at it, dig in deep, and, uh, and see what God has for us. Uh, this is Paul. He's, uh, he's in prison. He's writing to a church that he loves, but he can't visit. He, uh, he wants to be with them, but he can't. And so he's, he's, he's telling him, how are we going to operate when I can't be there to tell you what's up? He says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, since I'm in prison, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God who, uh, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor, work in vain, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming for your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's, uh, let, let's jump in a little. Part of, part of the issue with this, this, this passage, it has one of the most misunderstood uh, texts in, in the Bible. Uh, and so I want to I be very clear about what Paul's not saying. So let's, Jerry. Jerry had eye surgery on Friday. And he's here. Thanks for coming, man. Proud of this guy. All right. Uh, I wouldn't come if I just had surgery. I'd take, I'd take a week. Yeah. All right. Uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This sounds a lot to us like what we need to do is in order to be saved, to go to heaven, is to, is to work really hard. And we've got to be scared because God is, is mean. And we've got to be trembling in fear because uh, we might do it wrong. That's how it sounds to us. But that's because we don't use the word salvation very much. Uh, in, the, in our culture. In fact, pretty much the only time we use the word salvation is to talk about getting saved from hell. That's about it. Getting to go to heaven. No one, no one walks around and talks about any type of other type of so, so salvation. But that's not the case in, in the ancient world. That word soter, uh, to save, really just means rescued. It means uh, pulled out, bailed out. Um, and it can mean salvation uh, to, to get to go to heaven, but it honestly doesn't mean that very often. For the most part, when Paul talks about being saved, he's talking, he's talking about, well, just look at what, what a little bit below. Um, being pulled out of uh, a, a warped and crooked generation, right? The idea is, is that when, when God sends Jesus, what he's doing is he's, he's like, he's like uh, I'm going to make sure that you're no longer uh, identified with a part of stuck in the evil and the wickedness, the warpedness around you. You have an escape plan from that. And what's good about that is that when you do escape, when you do start living in Jesus' way, you're going to shine. You're going to shine because there's all these, uh, there's all these people around you who are not living that way, and they are broken, they're miserable. They're going to look at you, and you're going to be like, wow. In the ancient world, um, the way that they thought the universe was constructed was they thought that there was this big cover 
over the earth. And when nighttime came, when they saw the stars, uh, they thought that the stars were really pinpricks in this like kind of garment that covers the earth. And so Paul thought, when he looked at the stars, what he thought was happening was, was, was God, God's glory was shining through into our world. And so when he says, uh, you're going to shine like stars, what he means is, you are going to be a representation of God's goodness, glory, and salvation to the world. You're going to be like peeking in. Notice, this can't be about us working to salvation, because it says in verse 13, God's working in you. He's acting to fulfill his good purpose. Where? Here, now. The, uh, Paul didn't have, you know, the International Space Station. We do. Uh, and I have a picture here of the International Space Station. Uh, they, it, they take a lot of pictures of us. They, they took a picture of North Korea at night. And so if you're, if you're seeing that, there's this big black blank area uh, in between China um, to, the, to the upper left and in between South Korea to the bottom right. And, and what that indicates, that's every night is like this because North Korea is a total hellhole. It is, um, it's a third world uh, disaster. Uh, there's an authoritarian government. Um, it's, it's, there's no rights for people. And it's, it's run sort of like communism so that there's no opportunity for people to, to create, make, and, and, and do, you know, new stuff. Now, if, if you're like me, what you wish would happen would be that these people, you know, in South Korea would start, you know, would take some of their light Right? Some of their, the way that they do life and bring it into North Korea. If they started, if, if what we would want it would be amazing if you could have like a colony from South Korea move up to North Korea and begin living the way that South Koreans live. And what would happen over time is as, as more and more colonists began to invade and they, and they, and they put a, you know, a, a wall around their city and they lived like South Koreans, suddenly at night we would look down and we wouldn't just see Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, we would also see this colony from South Korea. It would, it would brighten up because they would have electricity, they would have food, they would have all of the, the modern um, uh, uh, conveniences of a first world nation in the midst of a third world crazy place. That is exactly, and we, in our verse of the month, this, this month, that's exactly how Paul sees what God is doing through us. Okay, we're from heaven. Uh, we, we have a heavenly birth. And now we're, we're taking the life of Jesus, Jesus' rule, and we're establishing it here in the midst of a hostile environment. And when that happens, when we do that well, we shine. It's like the lights get switched on. The challenge is, how do we do it? And that's why Paul says, work it out with fear and trembling. He's saying, work out what it looks like to be saved from this crooked generation. Do it carefully, because we're, it's, really, it's really important that the world around looks at us and sees something different, sees something beautiful. They need to see the lights go on. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Our greatest work in this life is not our job. Our greatest work in this life is establishing the light of Jesus' rule in a hostile world. And that can take a lot of forms. It can look a lot of different ways. That's why Paul says, I'm not with you to tell you how to do this. You're going to have to figure it out. It brings up a couple questions, right? I mean, the first one, obviously, is what are we a part of 
that is advancing Jesus' rule. I'm not saying the kingdom of God because uh, I'm not sure if the kingdom of God is something that's going to happen in the future or if it's something happening now. It's maybe a little bit of both, like now and not yet. Um, but whatever we're doing here, whatever we're a part of, we are trying to make and live life in the way that Jesus says we ought to. As though Jesus is Lord. He is Lord, but, but we also have presidents and we have countries. And so we're living as though Jesus is our government. And what part of your life is, is plugged into that? I mean, I think anyone here can probably say, well, I'm Coast Bible Church. You know, in the community, hopefully, hopefully that's doing a little bit of this. But I wonder if maybe there's more for us, right? There's more uh, out there, uh, you know, project, mission, something that, that, that maybe it's at your work, maybe in your family, maybe, uh, maybe it's, you know, actual evangelical mission, maybe it's bringing, uh, you know, relief in the name of Jesus. I, I don't know what it is. But th- remember, this is the most important, the greatest work of your life. That might be hard to believe. Jeff Stora just flew in from London. He hasn't slept in three days. He took an Uber to get here this morning to make sure that he could come to church so that he... The reason for that is that Jeff Stora has a huge project in his life, namely Reaction AV, uh, the company that he's built, and, he's, and, he, and now it's just... We thought he was going to lose it a year and a half ago, and now it's just blowing up. So Jeff's exhausted, and it's probably difficult for Jeff to believe that really the greatest thing that he is doing in his life is not... Reaction AV. It's something else. Part of it, I think, Jeff, is just being faithful with Rebecca right now. Buddy, we're praying for you, man. We're praying for Rebecca. We love her so much. And we know that this is a tough time for your whole family. Man, we're with you. But that right there, that is part of the greatest work of your life. And if we can't think of anything, if we look in our lives and we're like, oh, no, honestly. Where do you start? Because this is eternity we're talking about. Not your next paycheck. Let's take a look back at the text. Uh, this, is, this is cool. Um, so the salvation of fear and trembling, right? What does it look like to be rescued from this crooked generation? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy 32.5 there. He's, uh, in Deuteronomy, the, the people of Israel have been naughty and so they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and God's like, you were supposed to be my blameless, pure children. You were supposed to be saved from this warped and crooked generation, but instead you've been that. You've just, you've, you've, you've basically turned into everyone around you. You're indistinguishable from the pagan people that are around you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What do you need in order to argue? Harrison Ford, uh, Harrison Ford, um, hates the character of Han Solo from uh, Star Wars. If you don't know who Han Solo is, wow. I'll help you out a little bit. Uh, Han Solo was, uh, he was probably one of the most beloved characters in all of cinematic history. 
Um, he plays this rogue, or Harrison Ford plays Han Solo, this rogue, this, this scoundrel. He's all about himself at the beginning of Star Wars A New Hope. He has no time for anyone but himself. He just wants to get paid, get out of debt. He wants to become rich, and he's going to do it his way. He doesn't need others. At the end of A New Hope, uh, Han Solo has changed. He's, he's come to realize that, that he loves and values Luke and Leia and others. He started to take on their, um, their desire, their, 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 their hope that, that the Rebel Alliance can defeat the evil empire. He starts to buy in to being a part of this, this community, this, this alliance. Harrison Ford hated it because he said, once that happens, Han Solo's character arc is done. In fact, for the next two movies, all he does is just be the same guy. He doesn't change at all. And so for years, Harrison Ford wouldn't even talk about Han Solo. And when he did, he would say things like, we should have killed him in Empire. We should have gotten rid of him. In fact, in fact, Harrison Ford refused to be a part of the, what is it, Force Awakens 2015, unless J.J. Abrams guaranteed him that they would kill his character. I don't want to fight with Harrison Ford. I mean, he's 80. Still, still Indiana Jones, though. We all know that's going to be terrible. If, you're ho- if you have hopes for that movie, just give them up. It's going to be awful. It's going to be so bad. Uh, <laughs> but there is something to his critique, right? There is, because the, the beauty of um, his character is that he, he does something that we all um, are going to have to do. And that is he, he, he gets out of himself... And becomes a part of uh, the alliance. In order to argue, you have to have someone to argue with. In order to grumble, in the text, there has to be people and things to grumble about. At no point in this text, in the Greek, is there anything singular. When Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, it's all y'alls. Your plural Every single one of you work out your faith. It's not, it's, you're, it's collective. You're a team now. If you think that you're going to establish Jesus' rule by yourself, you're crazy. Instead, you as a community, you as a team, you as the Rebel Alliance have to do that together. So that's the cute thing in your note sheets. Yes, establishing Jesus' light isn't, isn't for a Han Solo. It takes a rebel alliance. Now, that might be cute, but it, it is getting at something very important. The, the word there, alliance, I think is really, is really is key. Because it's not as though this church is just a whole bunch of us, you know, just getting together on Sundays and doing what we do. It, it, it's actually that this church is a part of a movement um, where we are fighting against um, an evil empire. That's a real thing that's happening. And it gets realer and realer the farther this culture gets away from Jesus. And as a result, we here are on, we're, we're, we're outnumbered, we're outgunned. And if we can't rely on each other, if we can't depend on one another, if we don't get along, we're going to get swallowed up, consumed, destroyed, dispersed. So yeah, the first question is, are we going solo? Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's not even, you know, 
trying to do your faith alone, although that happens, but maybe you're just trying to do life your way. Maybe um, when you're young, you tend to be very stupid. The problem is you don't know it. And so it might seem to you, young folk, that you figured it out, that you know the way to go, and it's, and so it's a, against, it's away from the people around here and your families. You're sure that if you just, you're going to be fine. Well, I, I, this is what I'll say. I, I did the same thing when I was a kid. I think we all do to some extent. Um, be on the lookout for how that's working out for you. How's it working out for you? In faith, it's the same way. We, um, you know, there's a, there's, because we're Americans, um, Westerners, we, we have the sense that what's, what I'm responsible is for is me and what I do. And I, you know, I, I'm the one who's in charge and I'm an individual. Um, and I'm, it's, if, if I just do enough devotions, I'll win at Christianity. You know, something like that. How's it working out? And the second question is really, really critical. Um, what's the status of our alliance? Are we effective? Is our culture healthy? See, Paul was doing that manage, those management leadership books, you know, about having an effective corporate culture long before there was co- corporate cultures. He's saying, don't argue, don't grumble. You know, th- we have to be all in this together. We have to be on the same page, achieving the same goals, and we have to put the petty crap aside. We really do. The more we lean into it, the more that we, we get focused on this, my little kingdom and my desires here, and, and, the, and the less that we're able to just to, to let that stuff slide, to let other, others lead us, the more we do that, the more we damage our ability to be effective in, in, in engaging the evil empire. There's nothing the empire wants more than for this church and the people in it. And there's nothing Paul wants more for the Philippians when in his, if he were there, he'd be like, you. You're being ridiculous. Stop. But he's not. And so they're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to figure that out. And if our culture is unhealthy, we got to call that out. we got to fix it. Because the mission depends on it. It's the, the last bit of the text. The way Paul thinks about the church is he thinks... That the church in Philippi, all the churches that he founded, that's like his life's work, right? And so he, he's, what, he's, what he's desperate for, he's in jail, he can't go visit him. What he wants to know is that the seeds that he planted are growing up into an amazing, beautiful example of Jesus' rule in a hostile culture. And so he's hoping I, that he's going to be able to be before Jesus and, and, and say, when, when Jesus returns, I did not run or labor in vain. The, the work that I put in, my whole life's work, it was valuable, it lasted, it mattered. And he adds this, he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's a lot of, you know, just sort of wondering what, what is a drink sacrifice or a drink offering. Uh, does anyone know what that is? So uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, you look at the way that the Israelites are t- told to like, do sacrifices. 
So usually there's an animal, right, like a goat or a bull or a dove or something. But, but often we're told, uh, in addition to that, to add some, some stuff, other stuff that we're going to pour on salt. So you got this dead bull, and then we're going we're gonna to do some other stuff. We're going to pour out uh, what Paul's talking about here is about a gallon of, of red wine. Uh, that's the drink offering um, that's prescribed in Leviticus. And also, you would also uh, add in some, like, wheat, some grain, maybe some olives, figs. And so you'd put all of that stuff around and on top of the sacrifice, and then you light it on fire, and everything gets consumed. Why? What? Why? <laughs> Well, think, of, think about this. So if you live in an agricultural culture, right, like the Israelites did, what is wine? Yeah, it's the fruit of grapes, right? You know, you know how it is to, you know how hard it is to make wine? It's really hard. It isn't anymore because we have machines. But back in the day, they had to go and pick all these grapes. They had to put them inside of like a, like a big ditch thing. There's a wine press, I think it's called. And then they would go and they would stomp the wines, stomp the grapes, smash them. And then once they were all smashed, they would, they would get rid of the, the leavings and the sheaves and whatnot of the grapes, and then they had to do whatever it is you do next to make wine, which I don't know because I've never made any wine. But I'm sure it has something to do with waiting and yeast and whatever. That's what they did. That took a lot of time and a lot of effort. It was work. Or the grain, right? The, the wheat that they would put on, the olives, the figs. What did it all represent? It represented a life of work, being poured out, being exhausted, doing this stuff to create these things. And what that symbolizes is, God, I'm taking the fruits of my labor, I'm pouring them out. And so this is my labor, my work. Everything that I've done has, has created this, but it's for you. I'm doing it for you. So what does Paul mean? Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Uh, what? A sacrifice and for the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I'm, I'm poured out onto you. My work is you. And it is eternal. It's an eternal sacrifice to God. And he's like, and you should be the same way. Your work should be me and others. And when you do, when you see that, when you see your work poured out, and you see the fruits, you see the change, the transformation, you see uh, the word of life indwelling in hearts. What happens? You're glad, you rejoice. So Philippians, you do the same thing. You're pouring yourselves out uh, for me. And what is that? It, it, there's, there's joy and rejoicing because all of it is glorifying God and all of it is leading to our successful work in bringing Jesus' rule to the here and now where they desperately, desperately need it. It's the last thing on your note sheets. The fruits of our being poured out in work are an eternal offering to God. And this applies, by the way, to your job. So Brent, when you're selling coins, I know it seems like you're just making a paycheck, but it's not. It is part of an offering that you're making to your Lord. But most importantly, what you do spiritually, the great work of your life to bring the light and life of Jesus to the world, whatever that is, the many, many things, every little bit of that is you being poured out in exhaustion, in passion, in prayer, in hope 
to see fruit. That's an eternal offering to God. And that's the stuff that can't be taken away from you. Everything else is going to burn. So that brings up just a few more questions. Look back. Think about it. Is there a time where you, maybe right now you're in the midst of, maybe you're not. Maybe right now you're just kind of like, but is there a time in the past maybe where you, you really were engaged? You were really all in, all hands on deck to see something happen for God. If you're in that space right now where you're like, ah, I'm comfortable, think about what it was like when you weren't and amazing things happened. And maybe, 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 that's a, maybe you're relatively new to faith. Maybe you're, uh, you just haven't really thought about you know, doing work for God. What would it look like to be a part of something that leads to beauty, that leads to joy and transformation? I'll tell you what, I mean, one of the best church services we ever had involved zero time, well, a little bit, but there was no, like, me yelling at you about anything. There was no ranting. There were no Star Wars references. Instead, we baptized the Lane family, like all of them. We baptized uh, Bridget and her kids. We worshiped together. We invited, we, we showcased uh, the Kleins and, and who else was it, uh, as new members. Um, it, it was like, it was like all of the, all the blood, sweat, and tears created this amazing offering to God. But what made my heart swell the most, because I'm selfish, is that afterwards, um, Olivia, who's like, she's like the thinker of my children, she told uh, Aaron, she said, Mommy, I could really feel the Holy Spirit. I know that God is real because what, what I was just a part of. I'm telling you, there's nothing better. Nothing. And I'm inviting everyone here to rededicate, to repurpose, and be like, let's be a part of that. Let's pour, let's be poured out to see what God can make grow. I'm asking, would you pray, pray for the willingness to be poured out? I, I, those are dangerous prayers, man. I, I don't want to do this. I really don't, because every time I pray to be poured out, it hurts. And I don't like it. But man, it's worth it. Because in the end, we're either going to die or Jesus is going to come back. That's it. There's only two possibilities. And when that happens, wouldn't it be great to be like Paul and to look at the Lord Jesus and say, my labor, my work was not in vain. 
this long line of people, these parts of my family, these coworkers, uh, this community I was a part of, uh, the, the lives that we changed, like the, the buildings we built, uh, all those things to look at and be like, it was all for you. And to have the Lord Jesus look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, come into your inheritance. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, we ask for the, your power your spirit, uh, your your power, Holy Spirit, to to let us work out our our salvation with fear and trembling. To see how it what it's like for us to continue living under Jesus' rule in this corrupt and warped generation. God, open our eyes to the way that we can bring that that rule, that light and life, the love and truth. God, form us into a community that's all on the same team, all aimed at that, at that goal. To bring our different talents and gifts and desires and to just, just forge them into a single-minded vision for embracing your rule. God, pull out the thorns and, the, and the, the rough edges. Make us humble with each other. And Lord, let us see through the fruits of our labor an eternal offering to you. God, pour us out. Pour us out for each other. Pour us out for our families. Pour us out for our work. Pour us out for our mission. Pour us out. And bring us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.